adversity, bring it. The struggle, I welcome. Snooze on life, never let it. I am Dave Regina, and this is the No Snooze Podcast. Come on. Welcome back, No Snooze Podcast, episode 173. As always, I'm in the booth with a new three. We have William, Billy Council. We have Claudio the Voice, Valenzuela. And I am Dave, the body, Regina. William Council is a Harlem native, entrepreneur, community advocate, film producer, coach, councilman, and mentor. Billy is also the founder of the Council Him Foundation, a nonprofit organization with a primary mission to inspire, empower, and equip young men of color. Merging his passion for basketball and filmmaking, Billy produced a compelling behind-the-scenes documentary, Little Ballers, for Nickelodeon, collaborating with executive producer Crystal McCrary, musician, Lupe Fiasco, and NBA star Amari Stoudemire. The documentary received an NAACP Award nomination for Best Children's Film. Building on this success, Coach Billy co-produced Little Baller Indiana in 2017. Billy's dedication extends beyond Harlem, encompassing various communities within New York and across the United States. His persistent efforts have earned him multiple awards and recognition, showcasing the impact of his unwavering commitment to positive change. Billy Council, welcome to the podcast, my brother. My brother D, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, man, and I appreciate that intro, man. I, sometimes I listen to it and kind of like, wow, I did, a, I did a few good things. Yeah, my mom man. should be proud of me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so before we uh, get into things, I got to be transparent. You know, I get Starbucks typically for the guest and, and for CV myself. <laughs> CV never wants anything, but... Coach Billy over here ordered the dragon fruit drink, man. Is this something that you do all the time? Where, where did this come from? Because I've never had it. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, my my daughter, I was taking her to school one day and she um, said she wanted to go to Starbucks. And, um, you know, I was like, why are you going to Starbucks? And she was just like, I was like, you don't drink coffee. She's right. like, no, I want to get this drink. You should try it, Dad. And I was like, you know, trying to impress her. Like, okay, yeah, give it to me. <laughs> and, um, you know, she ordered a dragon fruit. And I was like, yo, what is that? And then when I drunk it, it was pretty good. <laughs> well, when you, said, when you said dragon fruit, I was thinking like a dragon fruit. And so I go into the app and I type dragon fruit. And the only thing that popped up was this drink. So if you're not familiar, grab yourself a pink drink from Starbucks. It might be good for you. Um, <laughs> I met... Um, um, I met Billy right before, it was right before Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah at yeah. Angelo and Priya's house. Right. Um, and it, we had a nice little moment. We knew some some mutual people uh, through the sport of basketball. Um, but, you know, we went around the the table and basically did a, uh, a moment of gratitude. Right. Right. Um, and I had loved everything that you were saying. Um, you and I caught a really good, uh, you know, connection right from the jump. So I figured this conversation would be a good one. Absolutely, brother. man. And, 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 and it's overdue. Yes, absolutely. So let's get right into it. Um, so, you know, I want to start. And, and again, you know, I need, I need to know everything about you because there was about 10 things during that intro, you know, but. I'd be remiss if I didn't start with the background. So you're a Harlem native. What was the, I guess, family dynamic growing up? And what was it like growing up in, in Harlem? 
Um, you know, the family dynamic was, you know, typical, you know, single mom household. You know, my dad was definitely present, but he wasn't he wasn't in the household. And, you know, growing up in the um, in the 80s was kind of tough, especially in Harlem. Right. You know, where you had, you know, um, your whole you know, basically the community was filtered with drugs. Right. And then, you know, I grew up, you know, in a household with me and my at that time, it was only four sisters. Um, you know, it was myself, four sisters and my mom. And, you know, but the funny thing about it, we were in the community, right? Because in the building that I grew up, my whole family lived there. You know, my grandmother had um, four daughters and all four daughters had an apartment in the building, right? Wow. So it was like, you know, it wasn't just, you know, my moms and my sisters and it, it was a family. It was a community in the building. Any and boys? No, I was the only boy. Wow. At the time. So they spoiled you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, spoiled yeah, yeah, yeah. you. But I did have a cousin, one of my aunts, um, you know, uh, one of my cousins lived lived in the same building with us, so him and I kind of grew up like brothers, mm -hmm. right? But um, in my household, it was just me and my, you know, my siblings and my mom. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Um, what was the, I guess, the takeaways uh, and the family values that were learned early in that house? And and I guess so. That's a unique dynamic. You said it was typical. I guess maybe for Harlem, you were referring to in terms of single parent household. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. 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 But yeah, so tell me, I guess, about the the values that were learned. You know, you know one of the values that you know, and 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 I still enforce today. You know, with my family is the ability to congregate together as a family, right? To kind of mm -hmm. you know put your differences aside when it's when it's time for us to to build. Um, you know, my grandmother was a big force in that, right? She kept she kept the family together. You know, my mom, you know, and again, you know, when you talk about growing up, you know, I grew up with a mom who had a substance abuse issue, mm -hmm. right? So when your moms have a substance abuse issue, it's kind of like strange, right? Because mm -hmm. you have people in and out of the house. You have people who you don't really know that's there. Um, and then you also think it's normal, right? Because you saw so many other kids in your community, in your neighborhood, parents who were also addicted to the substance abuse. So it was kind of interesting, right, when you're growing up there, but it was one of the things that we always stuck together, mm. right? The whole block was basically my cousin, right? Even though they weren't my cousin, but they were my cousin, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was a very unique family value system that we all kept together. Yeah, I, I think it's um, kudos to you for, for being able to not go the opposite route of the way that you went, you know, obviously growing up in Harlem. So I grew up in Mount Vernon, New York, um, very similar in terms of the household, except for mom and dad were together for a portion of the years. Then I ended up living with my father. My mom was addicted to drugs and alcohol as well. Um, but I saw a lot of, a lot of turmoil just in, in the neighborhood, to be honest with you, you know, like I, I was, um, one of, you know, a few white kids that were playing a sport of basketball at that time, right? So I understand, you know, racial right. inequities on the opposite spectrum of what typically is talked about with race. Um, but I've seen, you know, a lot, a lot of people I grew up with, they're dead or in jail, and it's got to be the same way for you in Harlem. You know what? It was, right? And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it was cookie cutter for me, you right, know, right. when I came through that, right? Because, you know, and especially in the urban communities, you glorify what you see mm -hmm. and glorify what you know. And, you know, that was something that I, I kind of glorified the street life, right? And, and and being involved with the streets, right? And, you know, unfortunately I was one, uh, I got shot six times um, and left for dead in my building in Harlem. Um, oh, up. 
We're not just going to skip over that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're going to stop right there. You were shot six times. Yes, I was shot. How Now, was this anticipated fire? Was it accidental fire? Were you the target here? I, I actually was the target because really? they actually came to my house and, you know, they came in my building. And it was funny. You know, now we joke about it a little bit, but my sister sometimes get upset. But, um... You know, it was one morning she was leaving out the building and I was coming down the stairs behind her and someone asked her, do you know Billy? And she was like, yeah, he's coming down on the eighth staircase. Um, I'm coming down on the eighth staircase. Time I got to the third floor, he was standing right there and he just opened fire six times. Um, got me in my stomach, my back, my arm, my leg. Um, yeah. So that was, yeah. And and how old were you here? Um, I was like 21. 21. Oh, yeah, wow. like so 21. you're a young, young adult. Yeah, yeah, now, so how did you adult. recover from that? Man, that was probably one of the hardest things to do, right? To even recover. physically. And physically, physically, right. you know, and even to this day, still emotionally that we yeah. still deal with that. Um, for me, I was in the hospital for like five months, wow. you know, I had to learn how to walk, eat, talk, use the bathroom, you know, all of those things that we take for granted. That was me, right? And trying to figure out how do you rehabilitate your body first, right. right? That was the first thing because at that time, as you know, like in the 90s, like we didn't really talk about the mental health aspect of mm -hmm. it, right? You have to get better physically so people can see it and then they move forward, right? And for me, that was the hardest part, right? Getting my body back together, right? Mm -hmm. Not, you know, having to use a, use a bathroom in the back, mm -hmm. right? You know, learning how to walk, right? There were certain things that I can't eat to this day right? Because of my stomach, right? Mm -hmm. So all of those things played a part on trying to figure out how do you change the narrative and how do you get better? You know what I mean? Physically. Wow. Did um, every, like, how did you live, dude? Like, what major arteries were missed? What major arteries were hit? Like, did you just get lucky? Like, when the doctors saw this, were they like, dude, you're the luckiest man in the world? Or were they like, you know, because you hear people who've been shot a bunch of times, but they're shot in like places that aren't significant, I guess, to the yeah. to the body, yeah. you know, in terms of life or death. But you said in the abdomen or the stomach? Yeah, it was That's the, the stomach, stomach three times, um, uh, the back once, the, um, the leg, and uh, my shoulder. So the abdomen had to be clearly the, yeah. the most impactful yeah. area. Yeah, it, it was the most impactful area, but here's the thing. It didn't really tend the arteries. It went in and out. Mm, right so lucky. yeah lucky yeah, yeah. and it, 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 I remember you know my mom telling me that I turned and that's the reason why it kind of went right. in and out mm -hmm. right and you know maybe if I didn't turn you know maybe it would have been a little bit different right right, right? right. but yeah that's what happened mm. um, I want to hear about the entrepreneurship journey for you um, I guess let's start with what was the what was the first job and how did the work ethic come about for you I think the first job, and I guess talk to me about where the passion for entrepreneurship then came, right? Because I think there's two types of people in the world. You have your intrapreneurs, we call them, <laughs> right? People who, you know, you can still make a great living, a great career. Like for myself, yes, we have this entrepreneurship journey here with mm -hmm. No Snooze Podcast. Um, but most people know, you know, I'm an intrapreneur in local government. Right. Um, and, you know, it's a great career, but also it's it's more of the it, it's a safer route for sure, because right. being an entrepreneur and working for yourself, you know, there's a lot of risk involved. The reward, if you can get through it, oftentimes is very good. Right. But I'm always curious to hear, you know, other people's perspective on that when they're in that world. Well, you know, for me, I had no clue what I really wanted to do. 
right? I knew, and you know, again, like I was always the the one who had a job, like mm. whether it was a corporate job, I walked on Wall Street, I, you know what I mean? There were certain things that I always did, but I always had that entrepreneurial spirit, right? I always needed that passive income, right? Mm. Because, you know, one of the things that I always wanted to do was to show our young people that you can be in the same game, right? Yep. And have the same clothes and have the same cars that... Guys that you admire on the street, but you're doing it the legal way. Right. Right. So now that means I may have to hustle a little bit harder. And, you know, from the um, perspective of um, going to work. Right. But it, it was cool. So I think w one of my first jobs was um, it's interesting. And this led me into like entrepreneurship was it was a restaurant called the Shark Bar. Shark Bar was probably in the 90s, one of the top restaurants in, in, in New York City that everybody wanted to go to. You had all the rappers go there, all of the ball players, any star celebrity would go to the Shark Bar. And um, I wound up getting a job at the Shark Bar as a delivery guy. Mm. And, you know, not just delivering food, but then it was just the relationships that I was building because I became a, con a, a consistent figure mm -hmm. to certain people who were ordering food. Right. Um, and then, you know, I rose in a rank from there, went from the delivery guy to assistant manager to manager. And then we wanted to open up a restaurant in Queens. I went out to Queens. I moved out to Queens and opened the restaurant there. And then it came back and then it was, um, had the opportunity to open a restaurant called Willie Michael Southern Cafe. We wanted to be the first soul food restaurant on black college campuses at the time. Mm. So we did an IPO. We did all of that stuff. And then it, it actually fell through. It didn't work. But then that's when I got the taste of, you know, leadership and the taste of entrepreneurship. So then just started doing random things, right? You know, I, you know, went from promoting parties, the hottest parties in, in New York City at, at one time, doing it for, you know, every, any celebrity that was, releasing an album, we did a party for it. And then just kept going from there. And then, you know, then stayed in the restaurant business um, and then just kept moving, mm. you know, and then it was just so so many other things that I wanted to do. I was still into basketball. Then I wanted to develop a basketball program. You know what I mean? So it was so yeah, many different yeah, yeah. entrepreneurial um, efforts that I tried to do. And then, you know, as recently, you know, did a nonprofit, then did the movie things and all that other yeah. stuff. So it was always in the, in the blood. It was just like trying to get something to stick. I call it organized chaos. Organized chaos. Yep. <laughs> I like that. Um, and yeah, and I just want to unpack something for, for young entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs. And I don't say that as a dig. I say that as if you're desiring to be an entrepreneur, there's something to be learned here through, yeah. through your journey. You know, you started as a delivery boy yeah. and worked your way up in that organization to yeah. then get not only the knowledge, but the experience and really feeling what it's like to be in that space. And then you decided to go on your own. Right. The problem that I know CV and I see a lot um, with youth is that, you know, the social media game kind of messes them up. They're like, I'm going to get rich quick. I'm going to not really get a real job at first. I'm just going <laughs> to start my own clothing company or I'm going to start my own thing, which is great. But you should also be learning the skills and building a team um, with people who are in an organization with you. Right. And then the connections that are made through building that, I think, in the long run is the way to go versus, you know, the youth these days, they just want to we all, everyone wants to get rich quick, but it's yeah. not a reality. It's the, it, it, I call it the, mic, the microwave effect, mm. right? You want to put your that. career in the microwave and boom, in two minutes, it's popcorn. cooked and it's popcorn <laughs> and it's done, right? And people don't realize there's so much hard work into it, right? It's so, mm. it's so many failures, yes. right? It's so many nights where you broke. 
you ain't not you're not making any money, mm. right? And people think, you know, because Instagram and social media, it shows like, you know, it shows finished products, mm. right? A lot of times Instagram doesn't show the beginning, like mm. you and I just talked about, mm. right? They don't show the hard work. They don't, right. sh- they don't show the grind. Yeah. They don't show. They just show when they sitting there and they got a check or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't show that stuff, right? So it's like, and the other thing that our young people f- forget to do is build themselves a board of directors of their life, mm. not just of their business, but of their life. Right, because there's so many aspects that you need that guidance. Why is that so important? It's important because we don't know everything, right? And you can't do everything, right? But when you have a board of directors, you can go to them and say, hey, I need help with this and that. And then your board of directors, excuse me, your board of directors also are your connectors. Mm. They're the ones who can connect you to the next whatever that is. Mm. Sometimes we... As entrepreneurs, we get into this 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 habit of not seeing success through from the beginning. Mm-hmm. We see it from the beginning. From, I mean, from the middle. Right. Right. Or from the middle. Yeah, we see it from I was the middle. More towards the end. Right. No. no yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. The middle, more towards the yep, end, because yep. it's like, okay, that's where I'm gonna be tomorrow. Right. But you don't know tomorrow. Those 24 hours is so long. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yep, so yep. I think it's important that you you have mentors, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's what one of the things that I wish that I had growing up a little bit more yeah, yeah, is yeah. a mentor, someone who can kind of like guide me mm-hmm. and, you know, show me the path and show me the, the steps that we have to take. A lot of times it's like, it's not there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, setbacks and a lot of failures along the way. Um, what has been, I guess, the biggest, well, t- it's a two-part question. The biggest emotional setback in your life, and then also a uh, a business setback or failure that ultimately then I guess propelled you forward. Um, that's an interesting question. I think um, one of the things emotionally was understanding who I am and understanding my purpose. So a lot of times we forget our purpose. Because we don't, we're not taught our purpose. Purpose sometimes is learned, right? And my my purpose became after I got shot. So we had to go through something extremely bad and then come out and say, okay, this is my purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, I think it's the same thing. Because sometimes we think we are set to do something, but that's not the path, mm. right? So you can be set to open up a, a, a bunch of restaurant chains. But the path may be through those restaurant chains, you create a nonprofit to give back to the community. Right. Right. You know what I mean? So for me, I think the biggest setback um, from an entrepreneur's perspective was learning how to lose and fail. Right. Because Mm -hmm. that's what that was a lesson. It's like. You work so hard to get something and you getting it, you getting it, you getting Mm -hmm. it. But then you don't lose at all. But then when you finally lose. It's the setback that kills you because it's like, okay, how do I start over? How do I rebuild? Mm-hmm. There's a uh, interesting dynamic though. Anybody that I talk to, or even my own in my in my personal life, myself for Dave Regina, I firmly believe that those who go through th- go those who go through adverse moments. I mean, it doesn't have to be as extreme as getting shot six times, um, but the loss of a loved one, <laughs> the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job. Um, I, I do believe that we end up having 
a leg up in the long run. Because again, with the youth, you know, you think that you have it bad, but it's not until you really experience something that humbles you and grounds you. You know, for me, it was, it was my mom's journey of, um, you know, recovery. It was me overcoming a chronic health condition and Crohn's disease. Um, me in the current separation that I'm in. I just, on top of that, I had lost my dog of 13 years, which absolutely sucked. You know, like being in a house that you built with your family. Now you don't have the relationship anymore. Your daughter is now not in the house for half of the time. So the one thing that you want is that best friend and that dog. And then he goes, and then I go through the spiraling moments of hearing his footsteps at night, even still sometimes, right? I still have a witching hour between two and three, uh, 3 a.m. where I get these, you know, these, these bad thoughts, but I'm able to work through these things now. And I really do use it as fuel to, to my fire. But I, 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 would you agree that going through those things end up adding a benefit to your life? You know, you know. As you sit here, I, I get I get kind of choked up because recently I just lost my mom. Sorry. Yeah. You know, I lost my mom 50, 54 days ago um, on Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving. Yeah, on Thanksgiving. So this had yeah. to be right after I met you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of weeks wow. later, I was, you know, heading. Wow. I think, as a matter of fact, I think it was because we talked about it was, something and I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to go visit my mom. I thought you were visiting your mom. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yes, you, your yes. mom's still alive. No, at, at the time she yes, was. Yes, yes. At the time oh. she was and um, didn't realize in the next few days she'd be gone. Oh, man. You know, and um, and a little bit about that, like, uh, you know, I went down to see my mom's for Thanksgiving, got there like Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, we hung out and we laughed and we joked. We we laughed, we danced. And, you know, my mom and I usually get in the car and we usually sing, right? You know, old tunes. Mm -hmm. And um, 12 hours later, I was pulling her off the respirator. How, you know, so, happened? you know, when you talk about adversity, when you talk about strength, my mom fought cancer oh, wow. six times. Wow. She was, you know, um, the last bout was ovarian cancer. She had ovarian cancer and lung cancer at the same time. Wow. And, you know, and she was so optimistic, right? So when you talk about adversity, you look at a woman who one day was, we talked about it, was strung out on drugs. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, worked her way through it. Then the cancer battle, right, with getting her, both of her breasts removed in the beginning and in, the, in like 1990-something. Wow. And then fighting all of this way through, mm -hmm. right? But one thing that I realized is she kept a smile on her face and she kept smiling through it all. And I used to sit there and I used to say to her, like, how do you do that? With all of this going on, how do you do that? And she just looked at me. She said, because if I don't, then who else going to do it for me? Then y'all going to make me sad because y'all sad. Mm. So if I lead by example and I move with intent, integrity, um, you know, Op optimism, you know, I'm going to be okay. And that's what she did for all of those years fighting. And I remember even to the day before she died, she said, we were in the hospital and she said to me, she said, boy, take your behind to the house. I cooked all this Thanksgiving food. I'm going to be okay. Aww. Cut that TV on. Let me watch the parade. I'm going to be okay. And I left. Wow. You know, and that was the last thing that she really said to me was like, no, I cooked all that food for you, mm -hmm. for you. So go, go, go eat. So when we talk about 
like the strength, you know, that's what kind of makes me keep going on. It's just like, yo, you know what? My moms were strong. So everything that we going through now, mm -hmm. the separation, yeah. the, 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 the loss of your dog and all of that stuff, it, it hurts, but it's a bigger picture out there for us. Right. Right. And we got to figure out a way how to keep going, even in those midst of sorrow, misery, hurt, pain. We got to say, you know what? You look at your daughter and be like, you know what? This is what it's all about. Yep. Making sure that you good. Mm. So how do we keep going? You my strength. You my everything. Let me go now. And that was one of the things that I, I, I'm starting to feel it now. And even though I still feel I feel that pain, but I still feel us saying, nah, baby. I left you at the right time. I left you at the time where I knew you were good. I left you at the time where I knew you can handle everything. Now go ahead. Now I want to go to sleep. That's powerful stuff. Man. See? That's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I know it's cold in here, but I had the chills. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm shaking a little bit. <laughs> I, I had the chills. I had, I had the chills as you were you were explaining that, man. And and rest in peace to your mom. Um, I, I can tell the the impact that that she's had on you. Um, as she continues to have on you. Yeah, on thank you, basis. brother. And now it's all kind of making sense. Um, you know, everything that you've you've touched on and done in your life, um, there was a, a a very strong woman behind all of this right. stuff that that instilled a lot of great things. In right, you, man. Right, I appreciate so, it. Kudos thank to you. her. Thank you. We have our ACE Summit coming up. Action Cultivates Excellence. It's a men's personal and professional development summit. It's a three-day experience, February 16th to 18th, New Paltz, New York, and we're inviting 25 men who are looking to level up their lives. We'll be doing guided cold plunges, leadership training, breath work, group workouts, expert-led workshops, and a keynote from the Yankee legend Joe Girardi. There's something to be said about surrounding yourself with 25 like-minded men. This is about building a community, fellowship, and a brotherhood. So whether you're looking to grow in business, your fitness, your relationships, or simply develop new lifestyle habits, this retreat is for you. It doesn't matter if you've made mistakes in the past or you haven't been able to commit or you're telling yourself you're not worthy. Let me tell you this. This is a new year. 2024, you are worthy. You're supposed to be here. Remember, the best investment you can make is in yourself. We all have a thought of what being a man in today's society is. And yes, it's a strong provider and a protector, but real strength lies in vulnerability. We're looking to bridge the gap between masculinity and vulnerability and bring out the absolute best in each and every one of you. AceSanctuary.com for tickets. We will see you there. Basketball journey. How did your passion for basketball come about? Mine, I, I got to be honest with you, <laughs> it came about uh, because I was not getting picked in the park, man. Like, I, I loved basketball my whole life, you know? And that's how I know Angelo. Yeah. Um, you know, we played at, uh, at Manhattanville together. But, you know, for me, it was more of a uh, – I, I was so passionate about this sport of basketball, right? Like, and I was naturally better at baseball and football. Really? But I didn't face the same adversity when it came to basketball. But because of my skin color and where I grew up, people didn't necessarily want to pick me. <laughs> so I said, you know what? All I really have to do is put that ball in the hoop better than most people. Right. And y'all going to pick me. 
Yep. So that kind of created a, um, you know, a little swag about me to where like I wanted to become the best shooter in Mount Vernon. Like that was my my goal in the, in the local parks, in the CYO leagues. Like that's really what I wanted to do. Um, and I ended up, you know, doing that pretty successfully from from where I came from. And then obviously my passion tied in with the work that was, you know, getting put in. And basketball allowed me to do some, you know, some great things when it came to education. I went to a $55,000 a year high school for free. Um, don't really have college loans to to deal with uh, but the the impact that basketball and the sport has had in my life teaching me teamwork resiliency um you know learning how to lose um learning how to win and how to right. win humbly you right. know the the I, I think the sports in general these days um they're they're kind of undervalued and even you see what's going on with football where like contact you know yeah. uh, tackle football is like going away yeah I think that's a that's a dumb thing. That's a that's a side note um, because if it's taught properly, I think it's a very safe sport. Right. But talk to me about basketball and kind of how you got into it, and then lead me to the Wren's journey. Okay. So I got into basketball because you know, especially growing up in the inner city, right? You know, that was the that, that we thought that was the way out, right? Um, I didn't. I wasn't that good. I was good, but I wasn't that good, right? And because my dad had, you know, the means to. Um, have me in these programs, right? I I, I want to plan in, in one of some of the, um, with some of the most exciting teams in in Harlem, the Young Bucks, Young Life, and Young Life was a- actually out of Mount Vernon. Mm. Yeah, the uh, you know, Young Life started in Mount Vernon. Wow. So yeah. yeah that, rent, that name isn't ringing a bell yeah. for me, but maybe that was a little bit before mine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Young Life started out in, in Mount Vernon, and um, you know, we um. I was playing basketball and, you know, I, like like you said, I wasn't, you know, the best, right? Mm-hmm. I grew up with the sham gods. I, you know, <laughs> I, I grew up in that era. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, we had some some players, you know, I wound up going to Cardinal Hayes. I played ball at, at Cardinal Hayes for a little while. But then um, I wound up, after, you know, after I got shot and, you know, a little, some other, I wanted to fall back in love with something that I love. So it was basketball. And what happened was I was out one night partying and one of my you know one of my good friends my cousin Des he said to me yo I said to him I want to coach and he said yo my boy Carlos um runs this program up in Washington Heights I'm gonna connect you with Carlos so we connected that night and Carlos said yo Bill come up to the gym tomorrow morning nine o'clock in the morning so these guys you know they at parties they drinking and everything else but guess who's who's not drinking me, right? So <laughs> they thought that I wasn't going to show up. So 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm in the gym like, yo, this is what I want to do. Energy on a thousand. Energy on a thousand, <laughs> right? You know, and, and you know, just always had the mindset of teaching, right, and, and, and mentoring. So we started that process, and I wound up coaching at IS90 with the Washington Heights Warriors, which eventually who we all know today now is New Heights. Oh, okay. So okay. I was one of the, you know, one of the first coaches at New Heights. Um, shout out to uh to to Nick Adam and um, you know, at, at New Heights. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so I started there. And from that process, you know, I got the bug. I got the coaching bug, right? And it was just like, okay, well, I want to do this, I want to do that. Then, you know, we wound up leaving New Heights and I wound up going to be the director of um, basketball at Kibbs Bay Boys and Girls Club in the Bronx. From Kibbs Bay, 
I decided, you know, built that program up for two, for about three years and got mm -hmm. it to a, a place where, you know, they were starting to be known a little bit more now than they were in the past. Um, from there, I wound up going to be the director at a pay for play program, basically called Fast Break, which is in the city. I've heard of Fast Break. Yeah, 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 which is in the city. And that's where I met my good friend, Crystal McCrary, um, McGuire at. Um, and, um, from there, it was that journey, right? You didn't start winning national championships with Long Island Lightning and from another Long Island Lightning. Yeah, 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 another, yeah. you know, shout out to Dingo and, and Shandu. Um, but then, you know, I wound up going back to New Heights. And, you know, my, my good friend Kamani Young, who actually now um, is at UConn, assistant coach at UConn, he was the director at um New Heights. Mm. And he was like, Bill, let's do this Batman Robin thing. You, I take the high school, you take the little grades. And we did that. Mm -hmm. um, and then that was the year that I wound up um, making Little Ballers. And we, you know, um, came in second in the Nationals um, in Detroit, fifth grade. And at that moment, I was just like, now nah, I got, you know, like, like, you know, I'm building a name for myself yeah, as a coach. There too, right. right. Yeah. yeah. So now, you know, uh, Dan Cloris, you know, came the the media mogul. He came and he was like, because his sons was on the team. He's like, Bill, I want to start this program. I want you to start it with me. And I was just like, what is? He was like, I got this name that I own. It's like the Wrens. And, you know, then the history of the Wrens, first African-American basketball team in mm -hmm. Harlem. And, you know, from there, it was like it was goal time. So created this this, this program called the Wrens. And, um, you know. I wound up leaving four years later, you know, after to, to pursue some other stuff. I wound up becoming the athletic director at Bishop Lachlan High School, coaching um, there, and still kind of wanted to keep going, keep going. Then I had my aspirations to coach college basketball, still putting the work in and, you know, developing relationships because relationships is, is what gets you in the door. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, wound up settling and I wound up becoming the uh, assistant coach at Mercy College. Did Mercy College for like three years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where that whole basketball bug started at. Yeah. So it's like, a, you know, we can start from the beginning and go yeah. all the way up. Right. But but that's how I, was, I, got, mm. I got involved with it. Great journey. Um, and, the, yeah, some of the names you're dropping, I mean, incredible men and in, in, right. uh, their impact through the sport of basketball. Um, talk to me about the, the filmmaking now. Like, so it's dope for me to hear, and this is anything in life, like I think when you're able to tie a passion – of yours, which was basketball, to now really creating something, which would be this film. How did you get the opportunity to like, like do that, right? Because that's not something like, just because you love something doesn't mean that you're gonna be able to make a movie about it. Like how did, how did that connection happen? So, it, and it, go, it goes back to building relationships. Um, so rewind, when I left Faz, when I left Kibbs Bay, um, you know, my, a lot of my parents was upset. Like you leaving these kids and you doing, you know what I mean? Oh, it was just like, trip. yeah, the guilt trip. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, yo, Probably gonna pay me a little bit more money than him, right? Like I don't, you know. So I, I, I get there and um, I said I when I finally got the fast break, fast break didn't really do AAU, and I still wanted to be in the AAU circuit. So I said, let's start an AAU team. And you know, my um, guy Lonnie Levine, who was the owner of. Uh, fast break he said okay you know i'm gonna give you a budget and you start that but then you're gonna have to figure it out after a certain amount of time i was like all right cool and i did that and then you know one day i had tryouts and you know um this little kid was on the team and he was just like he wasn't good 
but he was just fast. Hard he was aggress- yeah. aggressive, aggressive, one of those. Yeah, he was just he was just a beast, right? Wasn't that skilled? Um, but I just fell in love with him. Didn't know who he was. Didn't know his parents. Didn't know anything about him. I just I just liked his grit. Right. Because it's like for me, it's like you start with that heart mm-hmm. for your team and then you can build around. Yeah, I can right? teach you the rest. Right. I can teach you the rest. So he came and we did, we had tryouts and then, you know, I finally met his mom and his dad, you know, at the time. And she, my friend Crystal came to me and she said, Hey, do you have any footage on yourself? I said, no, nah, I don't really have no footage of myself at all. I, I'm really not into that. She said, I want to do some foot, footage of my son. I was like, okay, fine. So she did the, started taking the footage, right? And she was like, Billy, I have all of this footage. I'm going to make a story about it. But then I didn't realize who she was. Right, right. But yeah. Because she was already a, 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 a movie maker. She already <laughs> made a film, right? So I didn't know. And then I didn't even know that her son... Uh, I mean, her ex-husband was Greg Anthony, who played for the Knicks. Knicks. Yeah, yeah. Had no clue, right? Um, t- until one day he walked into the gym. Yeah, you're like, right? Okay. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, now, okay, now I see. <laughs> so when it happened, long story short, um, it happened, and she was just like, hey, we have like a story that I'm gonna tell, and I was like, okay, what's the story? And the story became about these four young boys, young boys who wanted to aspire to be in the NBA. And then she did a trail of it, and it was good. And then she was just like, I think she took it to Amari. Um, one of our um, producing partners, Lisa Bonner, took it to Amari. Stardom. No, to, to Lupe Fiasco and then Tammy Fry, who was a PR agent. She was representing, I think, Amari Stoudemire. And she took it. Why the Lupe, though? Like, Lupe is in the music world. Yeah, because, but you got to remember, just because you're in one area of business doesn't yep. mean you don't want to enter into something else. Right, so right. if I have the opportunity to jump into somewhere else to get points and get credit for something, then yep. why, right? Because mm-hmm. I put that on my resume. So Lupe said, let's do it. Mm. And when, when when they did the story, it was about these four guys. And then it was just like, nah, we need something else. And then Crystal was like, you know what? Let's tell your story. Mm. And I was just like, no, I'm not telling because <laughs> I'm not telling my story. Like, you know, but that's how I got into to the film through my good friend Crystal McCrary. Yeah. The connection piece is Yeah, the connection piece. Yeah. Is yeah, incredible. Yeah, and relationship yeah. building, really, I mean, and, and C V and I see it, you know, even with what we do here, you're literally one connection away to changing your entire, your entire life. life. Yeah. I actually heard a clip, um, <clears throat> one of one of our buddies, yeah, has one of the biggest podcast platforms in the world, uh, Rashad Bilal and Troy Millings yeah. of Earn Your Leisure. Earn Your Leisure. So yeah. they just actually, Rashad was just talking about a clip, um, and he said, you know, it gets to a point where you can't learn anymore. You've consumed, you know, as much content as possible. You know what you're supposed to be doing. You start executing. You start taking action. But the thing that ends up propelling you is that one connection. So yeah. it's important that once you have all the knowledge that you need, you start focusing more time on building relationships. Yeah. And that's a perfect example yeah. of that. Yeah. Wow. Um, no, and I and I love again, just to 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 reiterate though, the the opportunity of of the passion, yeah. you know, being able to provide an opportunity like that is super dope. Yeah. Um, all right, now I'm gonna switch <laughs> switch gears and go to the community advocacy part. Um, I can tell how passionate you are. Um, not only of 
basketball, inner city, but community in general. Community is a word to me that I have found through every hard moment in my life that I can think about, the word community definitely comes into play. I mean, you look at our mom's journeys of addiction. Now my mom is five plus years sober. She has a community of AA members, right, that propel her forward. For me, with, with Crohn's disease, I had joined the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. It was a support group um, that provided wellness services for people to, you know, talk about your issues. So there was community there. Um, obviously, with the podcast community, I'm meeting incredible individuals. Me, what I do professionally, community. Me and Mount Vernon, New York, through sport, community. How did you get into now wanting to make this a somewhat of a career? Because then you held office as a councilman in Harlem, correct? No, no, I, I, no. I, didn't, I didn't win a seat. Oh, you I didn't win a seat. Yeah, okay, you ran, so yeah, you yeah, ran. Yeah, I ran, yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Okay, so talk to me about like the passion for that. So I think the passion comes back from getting shot, right? Because mm -hmm. I remember getting shot, you know, my you know, my grandmother, my mom was sitting there and, you know, I don't know which one said it, but one of them said, you know, if God pulls you through this, you're going to have to do his work. Mm. What is his work, right? In my right, head, yeah. like, what is his work? Do I got to go to church? And you know what I mean? So it became service. And, you know, through basketball, right? So when you start one place, you end up somewhere else. So coaching basketball and saving these young men life and becoming a role model and a mentor to these young people, it was just like, okay, yes, I'm doing that and that's great. And then, you know, as you continue to grow in that aspect, mm -hmm. it's something else. And then it was like, you know, I always gave back. Like I always gave to people less fortunate than me, right? Because I always thought that my blessings is going to come back. I've been blessed already, right? So some, sometimes, you know, I struggle with the, like, what is blessed, right? Being blessed means, you know, God give you the opportunity to continue to help others. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, I want to do more, right? No matter what I did, it was always about service. And I remember doing COVID, and I always, one thing, I was always politically conscious, right? I always believe in the voting. I always believe in making sure you know who you are electing and why you're electing them and why they're saying the things that they're saying. Do you believe them? So it was like, you got to do more. So now it was a knock on the door. Okay, you did this. Let's close that door a little bit, mm -hmm. right? Let's open up a new chapter. Let's start it all over again, right? So during covid um, I was giving out gloves. I was giving out masks. I was giving out food. I was giving out all of these things just to help my community, right? Because they say you can't, you got to start within, right? So within, I start within my community, the community that I love. And one of my good friends at the time, um, Ayanna Harry, who is a, a reporter for um, New York One, she said to me that, you know, Harlem needs new representation, right? Because, you know, again, you know, and, and as you know, in these seats, a lot of our elders hold old seats forever. <laughs> 35 years. <laughs> and don't want to give them <laughs> up, leave. right? And, but then they start losing the community, right? right? Because the community don't believe that they're fighting for them. So it was like, we need some new blood. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I was like, I don't know nothing about politics. And she says, you don't. You know what it is to provide and bring resources. So that's what you just have to do. Mm -hmm. And then we will put a team around you to help you. Right. And that's what happened. And I got into the political field and I ran for city council in district nine in Harlem and I didn't win at the time, but the, it, it told me that 
I still have work to do with our with our people, mm. right? Because you know people don't realize how important it is to vote in your local elections. Right. Everyone thinks that you vote for your president. That's all you have <laughs> to do. They don't realize the president doesn't make change down in your community, right? So your, your your local leaders are the ones who make change. But one of the things that we did realize that we did in the community at that point was we got new voters and we got younger voters, right? Because now I was that voice of the young people, mm-hmm. the voice of people who didn't believe in the system and who didn't believe that someone like me from where I came from can make a difference, mm-hmm. right? And that's where that political you yeah. know, my mindset came from. That, that's awesome. Do you still have um, political aspirations? I think the political aspirations are still there. Yeah. You know, um, I think, you know, one of the things I start realizing is, do I need to be in office and make change? Right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I may, may not, yep. right? Yep. But maybe I need to be in office to make change, mm-hmm. right? So it's right. a it's a, it's a, a lesson that I, I, I learned and, you know, um, but the aspirations are still there. Yeah and, yeah, and and also it's nice to have personal challenges like this. Right. You know, this is a new challenge to unlock for you. Right, right, um, right. And get right. into that world and dabbling. And also, you know, I, I do hear, uh, most people know I'm a, a huge uh, advocate for local government. I've been in, uh, you know, the state now for 11 years. I work on a local level in, uh, in Westchester County. Um, and I do direct community work. I work for a uh, community resource department. Um, which is not very typical in, in government, but I strongly encourage young people to get involved and begin to understand exactly what, what Billy's saying here, to realize and listen to who you're actually putting in office. And by not voting, you're actually voting, unfortunately, because what happens is, you know, we see it all the time. There's older individuals who have been in office And the reality is on a local level, you might not even need that many votes to win. But if you don't vote, you're not even allowing who you really want to win an opportunity to win because these old folks are going to go ahead and put their ballots in and vote. So us young people need to get involved. Right. So I I love that. And it's interesting because, you know, when we looked at the numbers afterwards, you know, you look at the demographics of voters Mm -hmm. in that district. Right. Right. So Harlem is Harlem is big. right? Yeah. yeah. So what's District 9? District 9 is Central Harlem. So that's like from Hunting Street, um, Fifth Avenue, Uh all the way up to probably about St. Nicholas, all the way up to 155th Street. Okay, I was going to say, is it after 160? Yeah. So when you have when you have about 160,000 registered voters (laughs) in that district, but you only need 4,000 votes to win. (laughs) It's like, yo, where is everyone else at? Why are we not voting? And then having these conversations with people, people start not believing in the system. Mm -hmm. People don't think they vote count. People don't really see the change, right? Because they don't understand, right? And I think this is one of the things that, you know, I'm starting to do now is teach that, right? Why is it important, right? Why, who do you vote for? Why do you vote for them? You know, what can they change? They don't know about your assembly men. They don't know about your district leaders. They don't know about your city council person. They don't know about those people that's fighting in Albany for you, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's not taught. So it's like now you got to reteach your community on the purpose of voting. Right. You know what I mean? Mm, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's difficult. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw a, uh, 
a nice clip of uh, Jim Jones endorsing you. Is yeah. there a personal relationship there? Yeah. You know him? Yes. Jim, Jim, Jim is one of my, 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 my close friends, right? Jim and I don't speak every day, mm-hmm. right? But Jim and I went to Cardinal Hayes together. Gotcha. Right? Jim and I have been friends since we were kids, right? You know, people call him you know, Jim Jones, I call him Jamo, right? Yeah. That was his name in, in school. And, you know, his mom's is, is, is a sweetheart. So yeah, that, that, that's my brother. And anytime I need him or, you know, any community event I'm doing, Jim is like, Bill, what do you need? And I'm near, you know, he came out to my big community event last mm-hmm. year and supported, you know, did a mini concert for the community. You know, one of the things that I'm going to say about Jim is he's always giving back to the community. I remember a couple of weeks ago, he got flack because people was asking him what he have done in the community. You know, you got to be in the community to see the work that Jim does. And right. I'm not just saying that because he's my friend mm-hmm. and my brother, but I'm saying that because I see the work that he does. And, you know, he always like, Bill, what can I do? How can I help? You know, he was the first one. One, He was the first rapper in Harlem to say, yo, Adams, you need to come up to Harlem and you need to see, we need to have this conversation. So Jim is, you know, he he, he definitely is one of those, you know, one of those brothers who, you know, I love and support. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you're saying that, I'm immediately thinking of, of Jadakiss, Styles P. You, you know yeah, I mean? those like, are good brothers. Yeah. Because yeah. these guys, they really, you know, people hear their music. And it's rap music. So, yeah, you know, certain words might not align with your vision or whatever. But these guys are really in the community like that. And so to hear that about Jim Jones, too, is, is yeah. super dope. I mean, you know, Jadakiss and these guys, they're, they're every Thanksgiving, I mean, for forever, for yeah. years. I mean, as, yeah. even when I was in Mount Vernon, I used to go. Yeah. Right. I would I would just skip cross town to Yonkers and, and yeah. go to their to their events where they yeah. were giving out free backpacks yep. and things like that. So it, it's something that definitely gets missed on a political world about, I think, with with rappers in general, right. um, that they don't do enough for right. their communities. But you you said something good where yeah. you have to be in the community to just actually see, yeah. see the impact. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then how did the man you got you got a lot going on here, man. Uh, <laughs> how did the uh, the nonprofit come about? And, and great name, by the way. I mean, first of all, <laughs> Council for Council is dope in itself. Then the Council Him Foundation. Yeah. You being a coach and a mentor, I mean, it just it just goes well, man. So I, I love the alignment here. But how'd that come about? So it it it, it was it's, it's two folds, right? And, and talk to us about the mission. Okay, cool. So um Oh man, just I, I, so how it started first. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. how it started and then get us to the. So how it started was interesting. So, um, do you know Tamika Mallory? I know the name. Yeah, Tamika yeah, Mallory. Yeah. She's an uh, amazing community mm-hmm. advocate yes. and leader. Um, one day we were sitting. No, no, no. So let me just back it up. Mm-hmm. So in my film, um, Roland Martin is in my film, right? And Roland Martin had a piece where he said that there are so many jobs in sports and entertainment that our young people don't know of because they don't see it. Mm. Boom, a light went off in my head because I was thinking about starting something to, you know. And the next day, a couple days later, I had a meeting with Tamika Mallory. And Tamika, um, and at this time, she was about to start um, United um, Freedom with my son. And the three of us chose to go to a meeting. Um, my son didn't come to the meeting, but Tamika was there and we were just talking and she was just like, my work is going to be different than your work. You need to start something else. Right. Because at the time, like I was really like in, in, involved in her son's life, mm-hmm. you know, he's like a nephew to me. And she said, you know, I got a name for you. Counsel him. It stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And I just went on and I did some other stuff. And then, you know, I was sitting down one day after watching the little ballers again. 
and Roland Martin part came on. So I said, you know what, let me go a different route. So many young men, and as a coach, so many young men in our community aspire to be two things, rappers and ballplayers. That's their aspirations to get out of the, 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 the right. community, mm -hmm. right? But they don't realize there's so many other jobs that are entail um, sports and entertainment that doesn't entail you to be in the front stage, the ones behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times those get overshadowed. Right. You have the the agents, you have the the marketers. Right. You have the engineers. Right. You have the the producers like these are the people who usually don't have two hundred and fifty thousand Instagram followers. But they make it all happen. They, have, for they make the it person all happen. Who has two hundred. Right. 000. So what I wanted to do, yeah. I wanted to create a mentoring program that shows our young people that there are so many other jobs in sports and entertainment that you need to be connected to. So it's like connecting those resources like, all right, forget the ball player. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna bring in the lawyer who negotiates the contract. contract. <laughs> yeah. Right? Who gets twenty who gets three percent of that contract, mm -hmm. right? So that contract is worth $20 million and you getting three percent. Mm -hmm. Right. So and I wanted to start that program, that mentorship program, and that's what council how Council Him was developed, mm -hmm. right? Because there's so many mentorships programs, right, right? right? But when you I always say stay in your lane. My right. lane was sports. Right. And as an athletic director, I saw so many young people who were saying, nah, I want to go to this big D division one school. I may not play that much, but I'm on that level. Mm -hmm. Right. Instead of saying, OK, but what's the other thing that you want to do? You want to be an engineer. So you're going to go and take a business course just because you go into this D1 school. Right. Go to this mid D1 school. Mm -hmm. Take D2 up engineering. Is, yeah. D, right. Mm -hmm. Take up engineering and play. Right. So you get two for one. Mm. Right. And it's like, nah, but so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you an engineer who helped that's black, that looked just like you, who helped build this, this arena right here. Mm. Now, the um, the mission itself mm -hmm. is exactly what? To for, inspire for and equip young men to become the best that they can be in their particular field. So that's like short, the, yep. the, the short version. Men of, of color or? Yes, young men of color. Okay. Right. Yeah. And now, why did you choose that route with men of color? Is it because of how you grew up, where you grew up? That's what's around. Um, more, I guess, uh, um, underprivileged individuals. What What is it for you? That so, you for know? me, at the time that I started it, it was for that right mm -hmm. reason. Right. You know that you know our young men in our community don't have mentors. Our young kids in our community don't have the resources. Right. They don't know how to obtain those resources compared to some of um, the white kids who were in those programs who had that access. Mm -hmm. Right. Who had that. Their parents had that network where they can just take them over there. Right. Mm -hmm. And in certain communities, you have to work a little bit harder and you have to have a little bit of luck on your side. So, you know, and then again, those were the kids that I was mentoring. Those are the kids that I had. Those are the kids who I felt needed that right. that support. And, you know, not taking away from any of my my, my, my my white nephews, who I call all my kids my nephews, mm -hmm. but, you know, they, you know, understood that, right? And, you know, they didn't get neglected, right? But I just felt that we had to help our young black boys, uh, right. you know, at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's funny. Um, even the work that, um, you know, CV and I do for the majority of our careers, we've been in, you know, spaces of underprivileged and underserved communities. Um, but then also the reality is too, and what I find through my work in local government is that 
there are opportunities there that are available, but it's more so the exposure to them. Because a lot of times, you mentioned the Boys and Girls Club early on in yeah. this conversation. So the Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon Boys and Girls Club for me was very impactful, right. you know, but I had to actually get there and go. Whereas, yeah. you know, we do see a lot that, you know, kids don't walk through the door or their parents aren't getting them through the door. So it's us going and getting them and dragging yeah. them by the neck. Yo, this program, yeah. you need to be in it. Because then once you're in the programs, now you're going to be more privy to different conversations. Yeah. You're going to be privy to different connections and people are going to want to help you. Right. Um, but we as, as a society need to get these individuals, whether you're black, white, brown, green, yeah. whatever, if you're in an underprivileged and underserved community, the first step is is finding these programs right. and getting them into the door. I think that's like like you said, and that's true. The programs do exist, right? right? And, <laughs> and being in local government, you know the program exists, but it's just how do you find them, mm -hmm. right? And then a lot of times, and especially in in you know in our community, in, in the urban communities, like mm -hmm. we don't really look for the resources. Right. Like if it's not there, it's not there. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then sometimes in other communities, they search for these programs. Right. right. Even now in our community, you know, there are so many resources there, but a lot of times our parents kind of, you know, lack the time to really research it. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, I just, I can't find it. Yep. Right. And sometimes it, it, it takes a little bit more digging. Yep. As you, you know. and, and also I think is there's a big miss on this too. And, and I talk about this conversation all the time in the rooms that I'm in. The fix here is all of these kids go to school. Yeah. They all go to school. So it's bridging the gap between education and then recreation services right. and these other extracurriculars. But we have to be in the schools. Right. You have to be able to deliver a message right. properly to these students right. and the way to get to these students, because, you know, we see it. You put a flyer in a, in a kid's backpack, you can get into the school, you can drop off a thousand flyers. But now the chances of that actually getting into the parent's hand, it, it's slim. Yeah. So you have to go into the schools and we encourage our team to get into these local schools to really see face, to touch hands, yeah. to feel, yeah. to to sit down with not only the teachers and the administrators, but the kids. Yeah. You know, and that's where that connection really happens. And yeah. I think we do ourselves a disservice as a government because we're not funding enough. Right. To get, you know, these actual programs, the awareness. Right. Into the education. Yeah. And the other thing is, like you just said. We got to go get them. Yes. Right. Like we put flyers. Like, mm -hmm. like every so one of the things that government has to do, and, and you know this, we have to follow. We have to be in a trend. Right. We have to be on social media. Right. We have to be a direct link so these kids can see it. Right. Right. You know what I mean? And then, you know, you can't service young people without servicing their parents. Mm -hmm. So we also got to service the parents. Yes. Yeah. yeah right. Like we, you know what I mean? Because there's parents who like, okay, I don't. You know, I feel a certain way because I can't read it or I don't understand it, mm -hmm. right? We got to be able to be friendly with those parents and mm -hmm. be like, okay, no, we got these resources for you too. Mm. Great conversation. I'm very passionate about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> I know. Um, fatherhood, man. You know, and again, this is very personal for me. You know, I do this podcast very selfishly at times to hear hear from from individuals that I, uh, that I look up to. And, um, you know, I know you're a father of two. Is that... Three. Three. Yeah. Father of three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how has that journey been? And I guess what's been the most difficult thing in, in, in fatherhood? You know, I have two girls and a boy, right? Who's the, who's the oldest? My daughter. So you get daughter, son, son daughter. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So the oldest one is a, you know, a little bit different, right? That's, you know, not, she's not actually my biological daughter, but she's my daughter. I raised her since she was around five, mm -hmm. you know, and one of the things about her is she, 
is probably the sweetest girl that I have ever met, right? And, you know, trying to provide and protect is one of the things that I always say is my responsibility. And, you know, and having those girls make you understand life a little bit more, mm -hmm. right? Because with my son, that was my role dog, right? But one of the things that I learned about my son, and we're going we gonna to talk about that a little bit, is I never became his father, right? Because at that age, he grew up with me coaching, mm. right? So he was either on the team before me or the team right after me, right? Mm -hmm. So if I was coaching fifth grade, he was in sixth grade, right? So he, whatever program I was in, I was in, he was with me, but... I didn't know how to be his father. Mm. I only knew how to be his coach. coach. Right? So everything, and I didn't learn this until two years ago mm. when him and I mm -hmm. going, going at it, right? Because I, sh I was there. I was there, but I was there as a coach, not as a father. I pick him up from basketball practice or we had basketball practice or we in the gym when we working out and everything was basketball, basketball, basketball. Get in the car after a game. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Right. Oh, you got to get up in the morning because we're going to have an early workout. We're going to do this. Mm -hmm. So having my son kind of taught me how to one to understand of being a father, what a father really is. A mm -hmm. father is not somebody that you just there. Right. So I think I did a little bit better job with my daughter than I did with my son. Mm -hmm. My son is my my best friend and we have a great relationship. Like that's my dog. Mm -hmm. But. I understood like having a conversation with him. He was like, yo, dad, you was there, but you wasn't there emotionally for me. Mm. You know what I mean? You know how yeah, hard that, yeah. like, you know how hard that hit? Like you think you're doing the right thing. You think you're doing everything you're supposed to do, but nah, dad, you ain't there emotionally. Mm. Yo, you didn't tell me how to, how to put a condom on. You didn't teach me how to, you know what I mean? Do this and you and do that. I had to learn, but you know what, dad? I saw you do that to other young people. Mm. Right. There was a there was a part of my film when he was there and he said something that was so profound. He said, my dad wants to always be at my games, but I know that he has to coach his own team. So hearing that broke my heart. Right. Because I didn't show up to his games. And I remember he told me like I was when they won, they was going to for the state championship. Um, and they were playing um, a team and the father was there of the opposing kid. And it was talking a lot of junk to him. And guess what? He was like, yo, I was so upset because this guy's father is there, but my father wasn't there. Right. You know, where I was at, I was coaching a high school game. Mm. Right. So, you know, that was the stuff that I wanted to do differently with my daughter. So when I had my daughter, I wanted to be everywhere she went do everything she did, not miss nothing. Oh, I got work? Nah, I ain't nah, doing I'm, Yeah. Right? Wow. You know, even to this day, you know, my daughter has a, a, a ballet thing, right? I fly to Charlotte just for the day and just fly back just so I can be there, so I can be present. Mm. So I think that's one of the things that, you know, I learned about being a father is showing up mm. and being present. And the stuff that when I see you with your daughter, like it melts my heart. Right. Because I see the connection relationship that you have. I see how she looks at you and how she talks to you and how she makes you laugh and how she how you look at her. And I don't think that 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 love that we have for our daughters mm -hmm. can be matched no matter no matter what. You know what I mean? Yes. So, yes. Yeah. No, it's, and, and I really acknowledge your um, 
your ability to it's a self-diagnosis and a self-awareness, you know, of where you may have missed with your son. But as you're saying, you guys are best friends now, and it also helped you to now be the best father possible at this stage in life now, right. too. Yeah. Um, and your son, you know, you were speaking on the Council Him Foundation. He happens to do that that line of work. He's behind the scenes in sports management, pretty yeah. much, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now, know. is there was there a correlation there? Like, how, how did you start the foundation before he got into that? Yeah, that's the foundation was started. I think I started in two and like seventeen. So, I mean, that's proof in the pudding right there, though. Yeah, that's like, so you, you know, and it, it, it's funny because, you know, his best friend is Cole Anthony, right? You know, um, they've been friends since they was six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we thought growing up, because my son was really good, yeah. that my son probably would be the one to go. But it happened to be Cole, and they kind of knew this whole thing during high school, their high school years. Um, and um, when Cole went to UNC, you know, they had this— his pack like you know like LeBron is not going to be the only person who's going to bring his his childhood friends along and we're going to do this so they created this company called CY I assume where it stands for count yourself in um and you know he manages Cole and some other players and um he yeah he you know he he's, he's doing, doing really thing. well he's doing, yeah, thing. He's doing like, thing sometimes I'm like wow can I can I can yeah. I get on the paper don't forget about me man. <laughs> don't forget about dad over here right but now nah, they, they're doing anything and I'm and I'm proud of both yeah, of, them. of course yeah. and then, and I think also there's a a huge you know huge testament to you man as a father because you know you you did something right and you did yeah. a lot of things right for these yeah. guys to get to, to yeah, where they're right. at yeah um so what advice would you have for for um, the new dad, right? Even whether it's me with a three-year-old or somebody, you know, I know a lot of listeners who are in relationships where maybe they just gotten married and they plan to have children. What would be the advice to uh, to these young fathers coming up? Just be present, right? And, and, and enjoy the time and enjoy the growing pains. Like there is no book. So don't let people sit there and tell you the guide of being a dad or guide to being, you know, a successful father because you're going to stumble, right? You know, you're going to try to say, you know, all the things that my father didn't do, right? Come to the games, be at the games, right? Come to practice with me. I tried to do that, right? But it was something that I was missing. Mm -hmm. I was missing the emotional piece. So now for my son, what he's going to try to do is work more on the emotional piece when he has kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just, just, just be present. Right. And just take it all in and then continue to try to change the narrative of what it is to be a father in your eyes. Yeah. And and I guess the only thing that I would add to that, um, one, I would confirm that the book thing doesn't work because I happen to read. I forget the title <laughs> of it. It's called uh, The First Year, I think it was. And it's a huge book. I mean, this thing is like 500 pages. <laughs> it took me it took me a long time to read 500 pages. Um, but I remember stepping in and being a couple months in. And I'm very routine and disciplined and consistent. And, you know, my my regimen is on point. Right, right, right. The kid will throw it (laughs) off. So I always tell the story. Well, I don't know if I've even shared it on here. But, you know, my daughter was she was going through a she slept pretty well from the start, which was a blessing. I'm like, this fatherhood thing is easy. Give me seven of them. Right. (laughs) Then then you go through a little phase where they're not sleeping so good. Then you go through the phase where they're real sick for the first time. And it happened to be this. And it was in the middle of the night. Um. You know, my partner and I at the time, we we were fighting because of the lack of sleep. You're tired and, you know, you just don't really have the emotional availability yeah. to be there for one another. So I'm in the middle of changing a diaper that was a, I call him a blowout, it, you know, poop up the poop back. Yeah. I mean, just a straight up blowout. <laughs> 
and Callie's going crazy. She's flailing her arms and I'm trying to put her in the chokehold while I'm changing her. And she dips her foot in the diarrhea and flings it because she's, you know, running all <laughs> over the place, bow right in the face. And I started screaming on the top of my lungs. And in that moment, I was like, welcome to fatherhood. Right. Right. So and I say that because those moments definitely happen. But also now something that I'm so conscious of is being aware of the changes that happen along the way. And the development of a child is a beautiful thing. Right. I mean, the whole journey of not being able to move, like, you know, for a couple days, for a couple months, babies, they don't do anything. They just stare at you. They poop. They eat. They sleep. There's no, like, yeah. real you know, life to them. Then they start to crawl. Then they start to walk. Then they start to run. Then they start to take everything and throw it and break it. And in those moments, you can get very wrapped up and like, oh my God, this sucks. Right. But then before you know it, you know, my daughter's three and she's having full blown conversations, conversations with me like she's yeah. 13. And I'm already missing, and I'm only three years in, and I'm already missing those those days because I feel like I didn't do enough back then. Right. You know, and, and that's a that's a tough thing as a dad. So I try to be very conscious you know, as I move forward. So to all the dads out there, good luck. Yes, good luck. <laughs> good luck. Uh, that's the Taken movie, right, CV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So I'm not a movie guy that would make fun of me. So whenever I could throw a little reference in there, um, I like to do that. This episode is brought to you by Hudson Valley Teeth Whitening. Hudson Valley Teeth Whitening is an experienced teeth whitening salon where you can get up to seven shades lighter with just a 60 or 90 minute session in a professional and relaxing setting. They offer the most superior product coupled with the highest quality of customer service available to get you instant results. Whether you have an important event to attend, such as a wedding, birthday, anniversary, interview, or you are just unhappy with the color of your teeth, this LED light technology helps whiten your teeth fast and easy. At Hudson Valley Teeth Whitening, they understand how important your smile is to you. And speaking from personal experience, you'll be guided by highly efficient staff in a relaxing environment to reach your desired shade. Let them know you're a friend of Dave's from the No Snooze podcast and connect with them at HudsonValleyTeethWhitening.com or on Instagram at HVTeethWhitening. Now, back to the epi. Um, Billy, talk to me, I guess, the give me the best advice that you've ever received in life. The best advice I ever um, received in life. Um, I don't even think it was advice. I think it was a quote. And the quote was, um, when you look into the eyes of yourself, look into the heart of others. Right? And I always used to say, like, what does that mean? Right? So we look in our Look, we look in our eyes and when we look in the mirror, we know what we want to do. and We know what we're passionate about and what we feel. But take the time to look in somebody else's heart and see where they're at and where they're going through and how do you how do you help? Right. So I think that was always a quote that I like, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it was an unknown quote. Um, so I, I say that because I'm in I'm, I'm, I'm in service. Right. And I'm I'm in. Um, the space to always want to be a vessel for people, right? And sometimes we can look at all the stuff that they haven't done on paper, whether they've been in jail or whether they've been here. But when you look into their heart and you feel their heart and you know that they come from a good place, then that's what you go on. Mm. 
You understand? So yeah, you know, yeah, it's it, deep it, stuff. Yeah, it, you know, it's so deep. it's something that I I I started to learn how to do is like not see a person for what people say, but see a person for what's in their heart. Mm. And the word service, you know, it runs deep. I was just actually listening to uh, Tony Robbins this yeah. morning. Mm -hmm. And he had a quote um, that basically said, you know, life is all about growing and giving. Right. Right. He was explaining that progress to oneself is something that provides life. So you should always try to progress and do things in every aspect, aspect of your life yeah. for yourself. But. On top of that, the one thing that became the most important thing in not only his life, but everybody that he's interviewed and been around, and Tony Robbins is one of the best life coaches of all time. All time. Was giving. Right. And it doesn't have to be financial giving. Right. Um, it could be at times, whether, you know, that's to the church or something like that, but it's pouring into others. Yeah. And that that word of service is, is actually yeah. given. Um, that's beautiful stuff, man. This might be a challenge for you because you're right in the thick of it. But this podcast platform, we strive to provide value to to listeners. And you're going through probably one of the toughest times in your life in terms of grief um, and losing mom. You're 55 days in? How many days in? 55 today. 55 days in. What tactics and strategies would you be able to say that are, you know, I don't think this ever gets easier by any means the loss of a, a of a loved one let alone mom is something that's irreplaceable but are there things that you're doing that you now know okay this tactic and strategy works and something you want to share i guess with with the listener in terms of grief so dealing with grief is 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 part gr of the grieving process right? yeah, yeah it's yeah. probably the hardest thing in the world right but i'm going to tell you to just be be angry be mad be upset cry be 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 disappointed, right? Be all of those things. And the reason why I say be is because people would say to me when my mom died, be strong. And I say to them, how could you be strong when you just lost your mother? Right? How could you be strong when you just was with her 12 hours ago and now she's dead? How could you be strong, right? And being strong is something that we got to stop telling people to be when they going through something to be strong. Just be. Be whatever that may be. In that moment. In that moment. Mm -hmm. Just be. So, like, even though 55 days, like, I haven't been able to do anything, right? Because, again, when you're dealing with the work that we do, you come outside every day and you put this mask on your face, right? Because especially, you know, when you have to kind of be a leader in retrospect to different communities and different people, they always want to see you as strong. Right. But I haven't been strong. I've been weak. Right. Because it's like you wake up and that phone call that you usually would get in the morning is not there. That prayer that you usually would get or that, you know, I'm proud of you that you would usually get from your mother. Right. And I, I think, you know, people don't understand that unless they've been through that. And um, so I just tell people now, just be right. And, you know, eventually you're going to have to move on. Right. But grieving comes in waves, right? So you got to think about it. So let me just tell you, let me explain something. Mom died Thanksgiving. Mm. My 50th birthday was December 4th. Mm. Right after December 4th, it was Christmas. Right after Christmas, it was New Year's. All of those things is family environment mm -hmm. things that we do together. 
And the big thing about it was the process with my mom passing. My mom passed on Thanksgiving, but I couldn't bury her for almost three weeks later because my family had a tragic loss the week prior to that, and they were doing a funeral for a cousin in New York. Wow. So you see, I had to now I had to hold that process. Mm. The other thing was mom had um she was going to be buried in her husband military plot. Mm. Right? Now, you got to think about it. She lives in Virginia, Norfolk, Virginia, which is a military state. Mm. Right? Now you got to get an appointment. Right. So after, I bur- after her funeral was on the 8th, I couldn't bury her until the 14th. Mm. Then a week later was Christmas. So that grieving piece, and then at that time, you know, have a whole people, a whole bunch of people around me. So after New Year's, I'm by myself back home. Now I got to try to start going. So now, you know, people say, oh, remember all the memories that you have with your mom. But people don't realize those memories make you sad because you don't have them anymore. Right. So I even now I'm getting choked up because the one thing that people always say is she's not gone. Right. The spirit lives on. But a lot of times we didn't haven't been taught how to live with the spirit and only the physical. When the physical is removed, you don't know nothing about the spiritual. And that's the that's the grieving. Now the grieving part is really mm-hmm. starting to take place. I'm not just saying this because because you're here. That's some of the best advice I've ever heard. And yeah. even for me, that's something that I at times I almost fake it till I make it type thing, you know, especially with, with loss and, you know, with adverse moments, I am quick and I kind of pride myself on being super quick to bounce back through action. But in my head, I'm still all jacked up, you know, but I'm still going through the motions. And then my hope is that over time it, you know, gets easier and easier, which for me, it does happen to work, I think. But it kind of makes sense because even even now, I mean, the situation that I'm in, I'm now dealing with things that are causing dreams and nightmares to happen at this moment. But like it didn't just happen. This was a year and a half ago. Right. But maybe I didn't allow myself to just be and feel the things that I needed to feel fire advice. And I know CV over there was definitely receiving that. Uh, He's dealt with some loss along the way as well. Um. This is for me personally. I am currently doing dry January, right? By the time this comes out, it'll be in February. Um, Why haven't you, you don't drink, right? No, I don't drink. And, and, you know, very transparently, again, the first time that that I met (laughs) Billy, I'm like, yo, man, what are you drinking? What do you want, my brother? I got you. You know, because I'm all, (laughs) I'm like a ginger ale. What what kind of, is that the base or like you want something else in there? Uh, He's like, no, no, just a ginger ale. So, you know, I, I, I have this, uh, I envy people who live a a sober lifestyle. And now through the lens of my mom, you know, she's been sober five plus years, like I said, a great journey. But why haven't you, um, you know, consumed alcohol? And was that a forever thing? Yeah. Really? It's been a, f- a long time. And I'm not going to say I'm a Norman, right? And, you know, I, I, I probably had, you know, I have. I'm not saying I haven't, but I have. But um, it's been childhood, right? Because you got to remember my mom was an addict. Right. So I felt that I had an addictive personality mm-hmm. and I didn't want to. I saw what it done. Mm-hmm. Right. And how, you know, it became a gateway for certain people. Right. And, you know, it kind of spiraled out of control. And for me, um, I always said that I always wanted to be in control 
of myself and not have anything that impair my thinking or, or, or anything for me. So I, I, I always stayed away from it. Now, I get, and again, this is another advice thing, but like, I think a lot of people, me included, I get anxious and nervous about, you know, being in social settings and not picking up a drink because at times it, it almost is a, uh, you know, kind of relaxes you. It puts you in a, you know, a, a state where you're more inclined to talk to people and have conversation, but you can clearly still do this and have a great time not drinking, right? How <laughs> it's, it's true, and it might be funny for you to hear, right? But like, you know, the second it, it, I don't even have to be drinking it. If you just put one in my hand, I'm more inclined to be like, "Yo, what's going on?" You know what I mean? Um, so, what I guess advice would you provide to people who get anxious about not drinking in social settings? Probably just be. <laughs> just, I, I make you said, no, just be, and you know, sometimes if you want to blend in, hey, if if, if someone. You're on a date and she's drinking wine and you don't drink. Hey, give me a wine glass with ginger ale or something in it. Right? Ginger mm -hmm. ale, ginger ale can look like right. white wine, right? You can get some cranberry More like juice. Prosecco. Yeah, Prosecco white, <laughs> but bubbles. you get something. <laughs> but nah, I don't um nah, just be. Just be you. Just be you. Just be you. And yeah. you know what I mean? And be comfortable with being that. Like, nah, I don't drink. Yeah. But you want to drink, but we're gonna have a good time. Right, right, right. Right? Even in social settings, like, you know, when we were all together, mm -hmm. nah, give me a ginger ale. Y'all drink and y'all have fun mm -hmm. and I still laugh. But, I was but, tired. I was going to say, but he was sleeping on the couch about 45 <laughs> minutes to an hour in. And now I will say this, though. So I'm, you know, I I have not been drinking in January. Right. So I had a friend over and we're watching TV. And she was very offended that I fell asleep at 9.30. <laughs> but I'm seeing and I'm noticing in my body that without alcohol, I am a little bit more tired earlier at night. Right. And I think, like during the week, I always went to bed at 9.30. Right, right. But now, yo, you catch me on the weekend and I'm not drinking, I'm still in bed by 9.30, 10 o'clock. And it's great because in the morning, I'm like, let's get let's it. Go, let's go, let's go. What's up? Let's I'm go, very yeah. clear and I, you know, I, I do... I do feel that aspect of it, but <laughs> I have to say not drinking has definitely made me a little bit more tired early on, but that's probably the natural part of my body. Yeah. And the alcohol piece hinders that and then allows you to stay up until two, three in the morning. But here's the interesting about you, like you're a workout buff, like, <laughs> like this dude, like work out like three, four times a day. And it's just like, <laughs> you still got time to have a drink. <laughs> so it's yes. like, yo. And, and be a dad and, yeah. you know, be a deputy commissioner. Like yeah. I, I pride myself on doing all the things, but here's the problem. Like when I do the thing, I'm doing the thing. Right. Like I don't really have an interest in having a drink. Like, right. you know, if yeah. we're going to go out, we're going out, right. <laughs> you know? And that's why I don't do it often. Right. But you know, I'll, I'll have a really good night and, right. and, and it'll be a, a whole thing, but that goes to the addictive piece of the yeah. upbringing. Like my mom and I are very similar. Right. I just happen to reroute my addictive uh, tendencies. Right. And no addiction, in my opinion, is a good addiction. Right. But there are better addictions, addiction, obviously. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I am addicted to the to the feeling of, you know, the creativity that I feel when I'm working out. Right. I'm addicted to that feeling. Right. I gotta be honest with you. I when I when I work out and I feel that pain, you know, I want to push through a little bit more. And then the creativity that sparks, it, it kind of gets me high. Right. It, it's my own personal high. But right. that that's probably not good, you know. But I've gotten to a place to where if I miss a workout, I'm okay. Right. When I first had my daughter and I had to miss that first workout, I was not okay. Right. But now being a, a, in a single parent household, 
you know, there's times that I just can't, I can't get it done. Right. I can't get it in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. the priority level changes. changes. Yep. Um, all right, man, we're coming up on on time. Um, anything that we did not touch on that you'd like to share? Um, nah, I think we, you know, touched on everything, you know, and I, I appreciate you having me. Oh, I do want to touch on, um, you know, the sub initiative that I just started called yes. Sunday Dinner. Sunday Dinner. Oh, here's another. Okay. CD. Yeah. Yeah. Is another great name. This guy has has a knack yeah. for great names. Sunday dinner. Explain yeah. this, please. So Sunday dinner, and I just want you to understand. Sunday dinner is spelled S O N. Sunday no, I get dinner. It. Right. <laughs> and the reason why I started Sunday dinner is because it was a speak space for men to have conversations, whether it's dealing with our mental health, whether it's dealing with our finances, whether it's dealing with grief, whether it's dealing with you know uh, a loss of a relationship, right? Because sometimes we in society hold men as you're supposed to be strong, you're supposed to have it all together, right? And sometimes we don't have the answers. And sometimes we need people to talk to and just regular conversations. So what I wanted to do, I wanted to create this speak space for men to come and have these conversations with one another, build community and help each other through these, you know, and, and, and also pool resources, right? Because I think that's the thing that lacks in a lot of men, right? And this is not for men of color. Mm -hmm. It's for men, right? Because I think everybody's a son. So we come break bread over dinner and the, 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 caveat to this is making sure that we have a QHP or professional to help us lead the conversation and not and, and give us things to walk away from, tangible things to walk away from. Mm -hmm. So whether it's investment, right? Like well, maybe we may have Rashad or one of them say, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sponsor every man that's at this dinner um, $300, mm -hmm. right? To invest and show you how to invest. So now you have those resources. When we're dealing with mental health, right? We partner up with a mental health agency who can provide free therapy, right? For 10, 12 sessions. And then hopefully after that, those individuals who are taking those, um, those therapy sessions mm -hmm. will say, you know what? I'm going to continue therapy on my own because it helped. Right. So for me, it's just like I'm an advocate for our men. Mm. Right. Because a lot of times there's no one voice and have an opinion about us. Right. Everything is always men is not doing this. Mm. They're not showing up. They're not being fathers. Nah, let's show them that we are. So I created that speak space for men, you know, and we have these dinner series that's, you know, all around the, you know, the country that should have these dinner Country. Series. Yeah. Yeah. It's going, it's, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm putting it out there. That's where we're going. Right. Oh, so like, that. again, I started in the community, yep. but then I push it out. Right. Wow. Because it's something that's needed in our community. So when you, anytime you look up, you have girls going to brunch, girls right, having right. these empowerment, girls doing this, women doing this, women. But where are men at? Nah, our men need the support and our mm. men need the help too. And I want to be able to say, men, it's okay to say, you know what? I need the help. Mm. So yeah, that's what that's that's what sparks I, I love dinner. that initiative, and it aligns well with um you know a, a men's retreat that that yeah. I'm doing with my buddy too. Uh, action cultivates excellence, oh, and yeah. um it's just a personal and professional men's development retreat, three day experience, um where we'll we'll be doing a lot of that stuff. Right, right. Um, man, I appreciate you. Appreciate uh, this, you. This brother, conversation man. was definitely um you know. I, as soon as I met you, I knew that I, I wanted to to further the the relationship Absolutely. and Same conversation. Um, and shout out to Angelo and uh, Priya, Priya. For, for the connection. Yeah. Um. So I'm happy to uh, you know establish this relationship and and do some more things down the line. Absolutely, man. I thank you for having me, man, and continue the great work that you are doing. Thank you very much, okay. guys. As always, whether you've listened to one or one hundred and seventy three. 
with Billy Council. We just want to say thank you. Uh, spread the word and please share the show. You guys are the reason that this show is growing. Um, and we can't be any more grateful to you guys. Um, as always, you can shop the latest merch at nosnoozeshop.com. And until next time, stop snoozing. Get up and get after it. Billy Council. My God. Yo, that was serious. Thank you guys for tuning in. That's another Epi in the Books. You can follow us on Instagram at Most News Podcast and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Ghost News. Shop the latest merch at ghostnewsshop.com. Come on.